Okay, so James, let's, let's open up our Bibles to the book of James. Uh, James chapter 5. We're actually concluding the book of James today. This is our last week in this book of the Bible. And uh, we've been in James uh, since February, going through verse by verse. Funny story, I, I didn't even know this, but found out last week that um, Paul, Pastor Paul, who will be here next week, that him and his church have also been going through James. And they just finished last week. And so I didn't even know that, but it's just, you know, funny how things work out like that sometimes. And so we're finishing James chapter 5 uh, today and finishing this book of the Bible. And in this short letter, one of the things that James has, one of the themes that he's gone to over and over and over again is talking to us and instructing us about the words that we use, the words that we speak. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble for something you've said? Um, my wife and I have been talking and we've, we've decided that we need to buy several bars of soap because <laughs> our children need to experience uh, this cleansing power of putting soap a bar of soap into a child's mouth. We don't have bars of soap because we use liquid soap for everything. But last week we said, next time we go to the grocery store, we need to stock up on some bars of soap because they need to be in our kids' mouth. How many of your, you, your parents stuck a bar of soap in your mouth? The rest of you. Number one, you don't know what you're missing. And number two, <laughs> you should have gotten it. Uh, I once went, true story, this is not part of the message today, but I once went to a friend's house and uh, said something I shouldn't have said, don't remember what it was, and they didn't have a bar of soap. And this friend's mom made me swallow liquid soap. She was ahead of the Tide Pod, you know, challenge curve. That might be child abuse, but we felt like it was anyway, but we stopped saying whatever it was, so. Anyway, the point being that our words are important. He talked about how our words are like the rudder of a ship, how it can steer the entire course of our life. He talked about it, he talked about the power of the tongue, the power of our words. And as James wraps up his letter, instructing Christians on how we're to live, he's gonna, he's gonna circle back around to this idea, this concept of our words, and specifically the words that we use to communicate with God. We call that prayer. And honestly, if we're going to live like Jesus, Christians have to be people of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus prayed constantly, continuously. As you read through the Gospels, what you see is Jesus oftentimes pulling away from the crowds, pulling away from the ministry, pulling away from the distractions to go to a quiet place so that he could spend time in prayer with the Father. And so we're going to be looking at what it means to be people of prayer, the, th the type of things we should be praying for, what prayer means, all of that today from our passage. So James chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to read the entire passage, then we'll come back through and pull out some key points for us today. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, your, work is, your word is, is perfect. It is powerful. Lord, we open up our hearts to hear from you today. Speak to us. Speak to us about prayer. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to, to live like Jesus, to value prayer, to prioritize prayer in our lives. Lord, help us to have a right understanding of prayer and your purpose for it. In Jesus' name, amen. He starts by asking this question. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you Suffering. Now, this word suffering, it can mean a couple different things. It can mean afflicted. It can mean that you're going through a hard time, a hard season. It could simply mean that you are in trouble. And what should we do? What does he say that we should do when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves in hard times, in difficult times? When, when we made plans and those plans didn't go the way we thought they should go, when hardship and difficulty set in, what should we do? He says that we should pray. Now, what do you do? When hardship and difficulty and hard times set in, when things don't go the way that you thought they would go, do we pray? Or do we go, instead of going to the Lord with the hardship, instead of going to the Lord with the suffering, do we go to others? You know, the, 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 the saying is that misery loves company, right? So I'm going to go and invite everybody else into my misery so that I'm not alone. We might be tempted to grumble or to complain to others, to whine it's not fair. This person did this to me. They sinned against me. But honestly, our example should be the Lord Jesus. And, you know, if you look at him in his moment of passion as he was suffering on the cross and, and even as he was suffering um, in his soul um, as he was looking towards and forward to the cross, what did he do? He went to the Father in prayer. And on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. Jesus didn't go and, and inflict others with his pain, inflict others with his problems. He took them to the Father in prayer. Do we compare our lives to other people? Well, how come they're doing so well? And how come things are not, bad things aren't happening to them? I'm so much better than they are. Look at how evil and wicked they are, and, and their lives are fine, and I'm so holy and righteous, and my life is a mess. Do we compare ourselves with each other? Do we get mad at God? God, it's your fault. God, how could you allow this? God, why don't you? James says, is anyone among you suffering? Take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, prayer is not some sort of religious duty that you have to perform. Prayer is not something that you have to do to make God happy with you. Prayer is not something that you have to, you know, this, this task that you have to check off your box three times a day, five times a day. And if you do that, then God will bless you or God will be happy with you. That's not what prayer is at all. A lot of people have this idea about prayer, that it's something that you have to do. But listen, listen to what this is saying. This is God speaking. God is the author of Scripture. God is the one who inspired these words to be written. He's saying, is anyone suffering among you? Come and talk to me about it. Are you having a difficult time? I want to hear about it. I want, to, I want to invite you into my presence and spend time with you working through it. This is not a religious duty. This is an invitation from Almighty God welcoming you in to his presence. You see, because of what Christ has done for us, we can go boldly into the throne room. We can go boldly before God. This, there's no separation between us and God. The, the sin that separated us has been removed, has been covered. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins, our transgressions from us. A lot of times we don't like to go before the Lord in prayer because we have a guilty conscience. We think, well, God's mad at me, God's angry at me, I, I, I just kind of want God to ignore me because if he looks at me, he's going to see a wicked sinner full of sin, and he'll probably just zap me with lightning the moment he takes notice of me. I once had a friend in college, I invited him to church, hey, come to church. He said, oh man, the moment I walk into a church building, lightning's going to strike me. I can't go to church. I'm so, I'm so wicked, I'm, I'm so sinful. I said, well, if that's going to happen, then stay away, because I don't want, no, I, I, I said, that's not going to happen. If that happened, none of us, there would be no Christians alive today, because the, the first time we walked in, we'd all be zapped, and you'd all be zapped today, FYI. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags, but we don't stand in our righteousness. We're clothed with his righteousness. 
We've, that, uh, it's been it's exchanged. We've given our filthy rags, our righteousness, our junk, our sin, our shame. And Christ has given to us his righteousness, his power, his freedom, his positioning, his identity as sonship, as a son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Prayer is not a duty. Prayer is not something that we have to check off you know, a box. Prayer is an invitation. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone having a hard time? God says, I want to talk to you about it. I want to make myself available to you in your moment of need. This, is, this, this should be transformational about the way we think about prayer. The creator of the universe making himself available to you when you need him the most. Making himself available to every believer. It's not just to, you know, the, those who have a doctorate of divinity, those who have a, a, a license to do ministry, those who are the pastors or the priests, they can talk to God, but, you know, me, you know, well, you know who am I to go before? No, this is for every believer. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. That when you show up to him in prayer, he doesn't say, well, you're not on the guest list today. I'm sorry. You didn't pray enough last week, so I'm not going to listen to you pray this week. It, it, it's just these ideas that we have about God, these ideas that we have about prayer, they don't come from this place. They're lies of the enemy that have been sown into our lives through culture, through family, through our own fallen nature, through guilty conscience, all of this stuff. But it's not who God is. God's saying, come and talk. Let's, let's get together. And prayer, it's not complicated. You know, it's, <laughs> prayer is not, it, it doesn't have to be in like old Victorian King James English. You know, it doesn't have to be dead and dull and dry and boring. It doesn't have to be, our Father, Almighty God, creator of the universe, you who stretches out the sky like a, like a garment, we cometh before you today and beseeches thee, O Lord, on behalf of us, your humble servants, Please hear our petition and our cry that we make before you today. Wicked as though we are, your grace sustains us, and I'm just going to lay down and die. <laughs> Prayer doesn't have to be like that. Do you, talk, do you talk to anybody else like that? No. Why is it that when, when it comes to God, Christians just get weird about stuff? It's like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, can you pray with me about something? Things aren't going that well. Yeah, let's pray. Our Father, we just come before you today. And, I'm, you know, it just, it, it changes into just something totally strange. Prayer is simply talking to God. You, you, did you know you can just talk to God just like, a no, like he's a normal person? I mean, thankfully, God can see our hearts, 
and so he can understand our language. But it doesn't have to be that way. And if, look, if you're more comfortable doing it that way, then by all means, whatever works for you. But if that's not working for you, it doesn't have to be that way. The Beatles, brother, brother Beatles and, and sister Ines, brother Wayne and Ines, they taught me this beautiful prayer when we did marriage counseling with them 10 years ago. They taught us this prayer that they pray every single morning. Before their feet hit the ground, when their eyes first open in the morning, they pray this prayer. Good morning, Lord. What are you up to today? Would you make me a part of it? It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes the simple things are the most powerful things. When we interject all of our words and all of our intellect and all of our knowledge, you know, sometimes it, it, what, what ends up coming out is our flesh. And prayer should be this connection between our spirits and God who is spirit. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them pray this way, our Father, our Father. Prayer should be as simple as coming into the presence of your Father who loves you, who wants you, who's passionate about helping you, being a part of your life. I know some of you didn't have a father that was like that, but that's not who God is. God is not like your bad father. He is a good father. You need to remember that prayer is to a father who loves you and who's going to take care of you. And so when you are suffering, when life is hard, and sometimes life is hard, amen? We go to our Father in prayer first, first. And sometimes that's enough. We don't need to go to anybody else. I take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask God for wisdom. James has already told us that when we do, he will pour it out for us. You know, sometimes... We come to God and we want him to change something. Some, by sometimes, I mean all the time. You know, God, this is going on. Can you fix this and fix them and fix my wife and fix my kids and fix my car and, you know, fix my bank account. There should be more zeros in there than there is. You know, it's just, you know, God, here's your marching orders for the day and fix, you know, my health and, and just fix, 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 fix. And, you know, Paul, he prayed a prayer like that, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had some sort of affliction. We don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a spiritual attack. We don't know if it was a physical problem that he had. We don't know. But he called it a thorn in his flesh. That hurts, right? It's painful. It's nagging. If a thorn stays in your flesh, what happens to it? It gets infected. It's nasty. Paul had some sort of affliction, some sort of problem, some sort of pain. He called it a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. And so he prayed, God, would you take this thing away from me? How many of you, that'd be a good prayer to pray, right? 
It says that he prayed that prayer three times. But the Lord said, you know what I'm, you know what I'm gonna do for you, Paul, because I love you so much? I'm gonna leave that there, but I'm gonna add to it my power. And instead of taking it away from you, I'm gonna give you the power to overcome it. I'm gonna give you the power to, to rise above it. I'm gonna give you the grace to make it through it. You see, so many times we want God to fix the problem, and God is wanting to pour out his power in our lives. The same with Jesus, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it says that when he prayed that prayer, that God sent angels, and they came and they ministered to Jesus. What did they do? They were pouring into him the strength, not to avoid the cross, but that he would have the power to endure it. And look at what came of it. Look at what came of Paul's life. God's power is made perfect through our weakness, through our pain, through our struggle. So yes, we can pray, Father, fix this stuff. And, and, but, but in addition to that, let's pray for the power of God so that no matter what happens, we can rise above it. No matter what happens, we can make it through it. And then we have a testimony to share, amen? Not simply that God took away my problem, but that God enabled me and empowered me to overcome the problems that I had. Man, I should get some amens for that. Lord have mercy. Let me see, maybe there's some other stuff in here that'll excite you folks today. Here, let's move on from like the first five verses. Is anyone cheerful? Oh, I see. I'm preaching to the wrong crowd today. There's nobody suffering in here today. I got the cheerful crowd today. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises to the Lord. Amen. Again, this, this has to do with our words. This has to do with our mouths, right? Suffering. What do we do with our words? Do we go to other people? No, we go to the Lord. If we're cheerful, if we've been blessed, if we're happy, what do we do? We shout praises to God. Last night, man, I'm just way off my notes today, but you know, whatever. Last night, I took my family to Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. They were open till 10 o'clock last night, so we stayed till 10 whatever. And they have this new ride called the Wonder Woman Lasso Ride, and it has this straight 90 degree drop. And so, it was 10 o'clock, the park was about to close. I said, Heather, I really wanna ride this new ride, but the lines have been so long. I mean, two and three hours long. Can we just run and see, you know, the park? there's not that many people here left, and so I ran in line, and I said, they said the line's only about 30 minutes, and Heather said, yes, go. I will stay, and I will watch our four toddlers <laughs> while you go stand in line to have fun and ride the Wonder Woman lasso ride. <laughs> I've got a good wife. I mean, what can I say? I've got a great wife. <laughs> and so I stood in line for 30 minutes, and I got on this ride, and, you know, I waited an extra 10 minutes so I could be in the front, right? I had to have the front row seat on this. And I came over that thing, and let me tell you what, I was filled with joy. And you know what I began to do? I began to shout praises. I began, oh my God, 
this is amazing. This is incredible. I sang praises. I shouted praises. I was filled with joy. I also thought I was going to die. So it was also a, a prayer of suffering and supplication. If our hearts are filled with joy, we should sing praises to the Lord because it comes down from Him. Everything that is good and wonderful and perfect in this life should, should fill our hearts with praise. And praise is a powerful key. You know, oh, I don't have time to go into this, but you know, praise, praise can also fill your heart with joy. If your heart isn't filled with joy, if you just begin to sing praises, it will fill your heart with joy. The Bible says that God has given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What does that mean? It means when things aren't going well, when, when we're confused, when, when we don't understand what's happening, when, when things aren't clear, then just begin to praise the Lord and watch how God will, will fill your life with joy. It's incredible. Is anyone sick? What do we do? Again, with our words. We call the elders of the church. What does he say? Call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The idea is that this person who is sick, is that it's not that they have a hangnail or a cold or the sniffles or, you know, my arm is hurting. It's that they're, they're really sick, right? That, that they're so sick that they, they can't even come to church and, and come seek out an elder for prayer, that the elders need to go to them. That's what's going on here. And so if anybody is in that condition, what are you to do? What does he tell you to do? Call the elders of the church. If you're so sick that you can't come here, that's time to call the elders of the church. If you're in the hospital having surgery, what do you call the elders of the church? But you got a call, right? Well, I posted it on Facebook and nobody came. You think I'm on Facebook? I've got a life, people, that's not consumed by a three-inch glass screen. I'm not on Facebook. Look, oh, you know, I was gone for three weeks, and nobody called me, and I was really sick. And you know what? You're, it, the Bible says it's your job to call. I, I'm not in my office, and God downloads to me, so-and-so's in distress, and you got to go and, no, you got to call. If you're sick, if you really need prayer, call us. We want to come and pray for you. We want to come and visit you and anoint you and believe God to heal you. We want to do that, but we have to know about it. We have to know. Amen. We've got a thing in our app. You push a button. I'm sick. I need prayer. You can Text that if, you know, you don't want to call because, you know, 
We don't do that anymore. Or if you want to call the church office, we got an answering machine. If nobody answers, you can leave a voicemail and we'll listen to it. We'll get back to you. We have elders who are here. And look, look who it says will come. The elders, plural. Well, the pastor didn't come. Uh, this doesn't happen at this church. This is, all, this is my, all my pastor friends telling me about their churches, all right? Well, the pastor didn't come. Well, did anybody come? Well, yeah, all the elders did, and they prayed for me. And But the pastor, the man of God, you know, he didn't come. Well, look, it's, it's, we're a team here. When, when Brother Beatles prays or Brother Brad prays or Mondo or Archie or Terry, who am I leaving out? David, Brother David, listen, God hears their prayer just as much as he hears my prayer. Probably better. Brother Beatles has known the Lord a lot longer than I have. He's got his ear. Listen, the idea is that the body's ministering to each other, that there's multiple leaders within the church that can come and that can pray. Amen. And we're very blessed by God. We're very blessed by God to have faithful men of character who know the word, who know how to pray, who love to pray, who are here to serve you, who are here to pray for you, who are here to believe God with you, to believe God with your family. We're very blessed. I, I spoke with a pastor this week, and you know he has no, no elders at his church, no leaders at his church. He's being run ragged, and he's like, what do I do? I said, you gotta, you gotta train some men. You gotta appoint some people. You gotta... Get some people, other leaders that can help you. We're so blessed by God. And so you got to call. You got to call. And so it says to, that the elders will come and that we will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, if, if you don't understand what this means, if, if you've never heard about praying with oil, it's not something that's spooky or weird or magical. It's not that we have this magic oil and we pour on you and you know, hocus pocus and everything's better. That's not what this is talking about. This, uh, James is writing to Jewish believers. Uh, in the Old Testament, for the Jewish people, oil was very significant. Um, oil was used when they would anoint kings. They would pour oil over them. And what that symbolized was the Holy Spirit's power coming on them. Oil was also used um, to anoint uh, the, the priests as they were getting ready for ministry. And what this symbolizes is God setting someone apart for a special task or purpose. It also symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And so as we pray with oil, it's nothing magical that's happening. It's something only symbolic. And what it's symbolizing is that, God, would you just set this person apart for special attention? They need some special care and, being, and, and believing in faith that the Holy Spirit is moving and that the healing power is coming. But there's no healing in the oil. It's not, oh my goodness, there's no oil here. We can't pray for healing. No, there's so many times that people have been prayed for and healed without oil. And in fact, this is the only time in the New Testament letters that he even talks about praying with oil. And so... If it's meaningful for you, use it, believe it, but we're not trusting in the oil, we're trusting in the God who heals, amen? Amen. amen. It's a symbol. 
It, it, it can help awaken faith. It can help stir faith. But honestly, um, if, if you're praying uh, for someone who, who's not a Christian, who they don't um, know anything about any of this, don't walk into their house with a bucket full of oil and, you know, go dumping oil on everybody. They're going to think that's weird. Do you know why they're going to think that's weird? Because it is weird, okay? <laughs> it's not the oil that heals. It's not the oil that saves. It's Jesus. And so for people that it's meaningful for, yes, use it, absolutely. It can be a touchstone for faith, absolutely. But if it's not, don't, don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have time to go into it. I've, I've had drive-by oil prayers where I'm just seeking the Lord, I'm, I'm in this time of worship in the altar, and somebody just comes by with like a, a hand soaked in oil. I don't know where they got all this oil, and they just, <laughs> and you know, I just was taken out of my moment with the Lord, and then my, my forehead breaks out in acne from all this oil on my head, so... Let's try to be sensitive about other people, you know, when we're praying for other people. Now, if you want to, you know, go crazy with oil in your house on yourself, hey, knock yourself out. Lube up. But with other people, like, let's be sensitive, okay? All right. Um, where are we at in this wonderful text? Here's the key to this whole thing. The key, the key. This is the key that unlocks everything to do this in the name of the Lord. This is the key phrase to this whole passage. John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what does this mean? This isn't a blank check for Jesus. I can't, you know, from Jesus, you know, uh, God give me a Ferrari in Jesus' name. Lord, let me lose 20 pounds in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that even though I don't have money in my account, when I swipe the card at Sea Island, it will go through in Jesus' name. <laughs> Lord, kill my boss in Jesus' name, right? Maybe not kill. Some of you have thought about it, so I don't know why you're... Don't be so self-righteous. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means that we're praying according to his will, something that is consistent with his character and with his nature. Basically, you can ask yourself this question, and this will bring clarity to you. If God answered this prayer, would it give him glory? This prayer I'm about to pray, if God answered it, would he be glorified in it? If the answer is no, if it would only bring you glory, then you're probably not praying in Jesus' name. It's not just tacking on the phrase in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. It's praying consistent with his heart, with his nature, with his character, and with his will. Here he goes into talking about confession. That we should confess our sins to one another. Here this is the body ministering to one another. That, that, but that there does need to be for there to be healing, for there to be um, 
healing in the soul that there needs to be confession of sin. There needs to be acknowledgement of sin. It can be to one another, it can be to the Lord, but there does need to be this confession of sin. And then this prayer for one another. And so here it's shifted from the elders praying for the sick to us ministering to one another, praying for one another, the body ministering to each other. He goes on to give this example of Elijah. He says Elijah was a man uh, like us, and what it's saying is he's talking about this uh, story from the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 1 Kings 18, where Elijah was a prophet of God. God told Elijah, look, I want you to pray that there would be no rain, and Elijah prayed that there was no rain, and he said, okay, three and a half years later, it's time to pray for rain. Elijah prayed for rain, and God heard him. And what James is saying, the point that he's making is Elijah was just a normal dude. He was flesh and blood. He wasn't from the planet Krypton. You know, he wasn't, had some superpowers. He was a normal human being, just like you and me. Yet, when he prayed, God heard him. He prayed in faith. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Your prayers will make a difference. Your prayers will make a difference. He prayed and God moved. And then, finally, in conclusion, he goes on to say, my brothers, is anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What this is saying is that if somebody leaves the fellowship, if someone leaves, there's not walking with the Lord anymore, they, they're going into sin, that's what this is describing. And so what this tells me, this tells me two things. This tells me that number one, if that happens, we should be willing to have conversations with that person about that, amen? This, this, if somebody is wandering from the truth, if somebody is wandering into sin, if somebody is wandering back into the ways of the world, the, 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 those who are walking with the Lord, we, we should go and we should have a conversation with them about it. We shouldn't be afraid. Uh, this, sh- this isn't something we should shy away from. Why? Because God can use that to bring that brother or that sister back. The second thing it tells me is that we should enter into these types of conversations, these conversations about sin, prayerfully. Right? We've been talking about prayer all in this passage that if you are going to do that you should take it before the Lord and bathe that conversation in prayer and ask God to give you wisdom ask God to give you the right words to say and to speak that you would represent him well in that conversation and the point being not to shame someone but to draw them back into a right relationship with the Lord that's the whole Not to point out to someone how wrong they are, but to point out to someone how good God is. And it says when you do that, you will save their soul from death. Not from physical death, but from that eternal death that those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus have been saved from. Uh, I had an uncle. He passed away last year. His name was Nathan Bell. Many of you knew him as a missionary in China. He started three orphanages there. God used him in a mighty way, incredible way. 
to rescue children from death, to train these Chinese children and to teach them about the Lord, to share the gospel with them. Incredible, incredible work that God did through my uncle Nathan. What many of you do not know is that when I was growing up, my uncle Nathan was not living for the Lord. My uncle Nathan, even though he grew up as a pastor's son, even though he knew the word of God, uh, when he was old enough to live on his own, he left God, left the church, left his family, went his own way, and produced for himself a life of brokenness. And I mean brokenness. Failed marriages, estranged children. It was a mess. But my grandma, Ruth Bell, his mom, for 20 years did not let a day go by that she did not cry out to the Lord for her son, Nathan. 20 years is a long time. You can make a big mess in 20 years. And after 20 years, and going his own way, doing his own thing, he finally surrendered his life to the Lord. And from that brokenness, God took this man and rebuilt him and used him in, a, in just an incredible way to what I believe will, will impact that nation one day, those children will. I believe that. And so parents, pray for your kids. Even if they're serving the Lord, hello? Pray for your kids. Believe God. Even if you don't see it, believe it. Pray in faith, asking God to move. We leave the results up to God. We leave the results up to God. But let's be taking it before him in prayer, believing in him and trusting in him. Prayer works. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is powerful. 